Welcome to Valley Church. It is great to see all of you guys. I'm happy that you're here. Um, last week, we had a family meeting. Um, if you missed last Sunday and you also didn't get an email from us, would you please come let me know after church or let Mark know? Um, we want to make sure that you have access to the information that we shared if you so choose to listen to it. Um, but we'll make sure that you can listen to an audio recording and have access to this financials sheet that we handed out. Um, if you don't care, then you don't have to ask for it. But I'd love to make sure that you know that you do have access to it. So uh, come find me and we can get you on our mailing list and I can send you the info. Um, for today, we are just going to jump right into Matthew. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 16. It just feels really good that we're in the upper teens of Matthew. It's taken a nice long time, but we're going to open to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll work our way through verses 1 through 12 today. Um, I'm going to read all 12 of those verses right now to start. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come into this room? Uh, we invite you to help us. We need you to help us understand the Bible. We need you to illuminate this text for us so that we can understand it, so that we can see Jesus clearly and in doing so maybe see ourselves clearly and our lives more clearly. So would you help us do that? Would you um, help us become more like you as we open the Bible, we study it together as a church? Praise you, we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's go back to the beginning of this. Verse one, Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. So the first few words of the story actually really set it up as um, unique. First of all, the Pharisees were there. Um, they are the fundamentalists of the day. Jesus has had much to say about them throughout the Gospel of Matthew. They desired the appearance of godliness and the honor and the respect that came with it. They were great at following the law, but were also great at totally missing the heart of God, and they kind of ended up living lives of judgment toward others. Pharisees had a political enemy within Judaism, and these were the Sadducees. 
So the Sadducees were kind of like political opportunists centered almost exclusively in Jerusalem. And uh, they were trying to basically buddy up with Rome as an attempt to gain some type of power or control. And they had pretty different religious beliefs actually from the Pharisees. The Sadducees notably didn't believe in the concept of the resurrection. Um, they had kind of a very limited Old Testament Bible that they read. And so these guys were pretty much opposed to each other at every level except when it came to Jesus. It's kind of a perfect picture of that idea of the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. So they came together, they, they traveled quite a, quite a ways from Jerusalem at this point, and it's kind of like this joint delegation that to Matthew kind of represents all of the power structure of Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees together. Um, and they are there because they had a common enemy. Jesus was a threat to the both of them. Honestly, be it like today, if... Um, I don't know, I could, some like political drama, a TV show, if there were like Democrats and Republicans that joined together for a moment to shut down or like ruin the campaign of some independent um, who was gaining popularity in a political race or something, kind of like that. So the Pharisees and Sadducees are united in their goal of trying to trap or stop or ruin Jesus's growing popularity among the public. Um, our translations tell us that they were trying to test Jesus. The word used here in the original language is the same word used when Satan tries to tempt or test Jesus or the actual name of Satan when the Bible calls him the tempter. So it has, a, I think, in this context, a specific connotation of testing with a view to failure. So they're, they're not genuinely wanting Jesus to show them a sign. They're trying to trap him or um, discredit him in some way. Um, they're not genuinely hoping that Jesus is the Son of God. They're trying to find proof that he's not. Um, they already don't believe in him, and they've made that very clear so far throughout Matthew's gospel. They're looking for him. They're kind of fishing for Jesus to fail or to do something that causes the crowds to stop following him. The irony is that Jesus' whole life and his ministry so far up to this point has been all the proof that they would have needed if they had eyes to see it. Um, Robert Mount says, in asking for spectacular proof from heaven, that's what they're asking for with the sign from heaven, they show that they are spiritually unable to grasp what is taking place in the life and ministry of Jesus. Verses two and three. Jesus replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So he responds to their request with a rather kind of intense judgment. He draws attention to the fact that they are able to kind of predict the weather by reading the skies. It's very similar to the, we have this, a similar adage, red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. But they were so blind to the spiritual weather forecast that they could not see what was happening in front of them that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was ushering in the kingdom of God through all of his teaching and his miracles, his healing and his feeding people. So in other words, Jesus says to them, you're asking for a sign from heaven, but you wouldn't even understand it or notice it if it smacked you in the face. So Jesus pronounces this intense judgment in verse four. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given, in, none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. So throughout the Old Testament, prophets um, would describe Israel's disobedience um, as unfaithfulness or adultery. They were being unfaithful to their first love, Yahweh, and the covenant that he had established with them. It's kind of an intense metaphor, but it's the image that God has used many times throughout the Old Testament. 
They were leaving their first love, their commitment to God when they disobeyed. And so Jesus picks up on this metaphor in his description of not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but the generation worth of people that are kind of following them and trying to think like them. So Jesus is saying that in their seeking proof, in their testing slash tempting him, they are behaving unfaithfully towards God. In other words, had they had eyes to see humble hearts of faithfulness to God, they wouldn't need a sign. Again, they already had an abundance of evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. So Jesus denies their request. No sign for them except for the sign of Jonah. So this wording, that phrase, the sign of Jonah, is used a few other times in the Gospels, and it has some Bible scholars rather confused as to what exactly it means. Um, I think the most common understanding, the one that makes, at least the one that makes the most sense to me, is that the sign of Jonah is a reference to the coming death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, one Bible scholar, Michael Wilkins, says it's not some kind of sign that Jonah brings, rather Jonah is the sign. So if we think back to the story, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell them to repent, lest they be destroyed. Um, the Ninevites likely heard the wild story of Jonah's journey um, on the sea and in the whale, um, they probably heard about that before he got there. The word might have reached them. So this may partially have been why they repented. Like if a God who could deliver the man from a belly of a huge fish says that we're all gonna perish unless we repent, maybe we should do so because he seems powerful. So Jesus is saying that his only sign, the only proof that he's willing at, from this point on to offer these people who are super skeptical about him um, is the sign of Jonah is the resurrection that he's about to um, do, coming out from the belly of the grave. So moving on to the next scene, verses five and six. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Matthew skipped a little detail, but apparently they had gotten into a boat and were making their way across the lake, but they didn't have any bread with them. Jesus then gives them this kind of interesting sort of cryptic warning about the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. R.T. France says, here the demand for a sign indicated an insidious resistance to Jesus' mission, and Jesus did not want his disciples to be infected with his opponent's skepticism. That's what Jesus meant but that's not what the disciples got right away, at least. The disciples did not see or understand this yet. So in verse seven, they discussed this among themselves, Jesus' statement, and they said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. So what's happened here is that they have just totally missed the point of what Jesus said, like really, really struck out. Um, they're incredibly stuck on the fact that they don't have food with them, and they just can't hear Jesus. They hear the word yeast and a synapse fires in their brain. They're like, yeast and bread. He was talking about something else. Uh, now we don't have bread, and oh no, we're gonna be in trouble. They're worried that Jesus was frustrated with them. Um, but Jesus, though he wasn't talking about bread, um, he meets them in kind of the mental headspace that they were in, and he addresses what they said in verse eight. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
So we have the benefit of all these stories written out for us and we can see them. Um, so I feel like sometimes we have to cut the disciples some slack. But imagine being Jesus in this scenario. The disciples hear you say the word yeast. They think that you're mad that they forgot bread and they're worried that you're all gonna go hungry or something. Jesus is like, seriously? Like, have we not seen what I can do with bread? <laughs> do you not remember this? Have you forgotten what's happened the last few times that we've been out in the woods with no bread? He said, you yourselves picked up the leftovers multiple times of our feeding thousands of people. So how can you think that this was about us being out of literal bread? So he then redirects their attention to this original warning that he said, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then Matthew tells us in verse 12 that they um, finally understood. Then they understood that he was not telling them to uh, guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus wasn't, after all, talking about yesterday's dough being used in today's bread because they didn't have the nice packets of active dry yeast. So um, he was talking about this invisible but pervasive and powerful effect of the teaching and the attitude of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Grant Osborne says, as only a small amount of yeast spreads into the dough and virtually takes it over, so the false teaching of the leaders spreads into the nation and turns them against their Messiah. So what is the yeast of, and the, or the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees? I think Matthew gives us an answer from the context. Um, Luke 12.1 actually just gives us a straightforward answer where it says, Jesus says, beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is hypocrisy. Um, so yeast equals like a teaching or almost like a way of life, which was um, hypocritical for the, the Pharisees. But I think that we could have kind of learned that just by reading Matthew, actually, um, or somewhere similar to that. So Jesus' interaction um, with them is what prompted him to warn the disciples. Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and Sadducees prompted him to warn the disciples, that is. So their interaction the Pharisees and Jesus showed their hip hypocrisy and spiritual blindness. They had this image of uprightness and godliness and obedience and knowledge, but their hearts were very, very far from God, so, so much so that they didn't recognize him when he came in the person of Jesus. And so they kind of tempt him and test him to show them a sign. They're like, prove that you are from God, but they don't actually care. They want him disproven and discredited in their hearts. So what they ask for is not what they actually want, what they say is not what, what they actually do, which means they're hypocrites. So to summarize verses one through 12 very quickly, Pharisees and Sadducees, they're trying to trap or discredit Jesus by asking for a sign that they don't actually want. Then they leave, Jesus and his disciples leave. Jesus tells his disciples, beware, beware of that, of, of them and what they stand for, what they just said and asked for. It's bad, it's sneaky, but all the disciples here is yeast. Oh no, we forgot bread. Um, so Jesus corrects their lack of faith, reminds them that he always provides what they need and warns them again against the yeast or the teaching, the way of life of um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You guys doing good? Ready to keep going just for a little bit more? Okay. So I wanna just quickly um, talk about what this has to do with us, the church today. Um, I think that this passage is a warning about, um, in part, a warning about false teaching. So the Pharisees and Sadducees in this story were false teachers of a, of a sort. Um, 
uh, Jesus was warning his disciples about their, their yeast or their teaching. So it's, it's very likely actually that Matthew, in, in writing this story to his audience, he's not just trying to tell the church what happened, but he's trying to warn his own audience um, about false teachers that were probably threatening the church of his day. So Jesus is warning as it hits the disciples, um, as it hit the church that Matthew wrote this book for, is also how it should hit us. Um, and the warning is not just to be careful of people who are hypocrites and don't teach the things from God. I think the point is that false teaching is sneaky or yeasty, for lack of a better word. Um, it's sneaky and powerful, uh, and we need to be careful. Um, so I've got, I've got this thought about the passage, and this is where I'm going to kind of end. Um, how I think it can uh, hit us today, and I could be wrong, I'll just say that. I might be wrong. Wrong in that maybe Matthew isn't trying to say this. I think what I'm going to say is like sound and makes sense, but maybe Matthew's not trying to say it. So um, I'll share it with you. You can see if it fits. You can test it, but not the bad kind of testing, just the good kind. Um, I think that this boat scene with Jesus and his disciples is a picture that Jesus wants us to have of what disciples look like when they're vulnerable to false teaching. So I think it's like a scene about that, um, like a case study or a template of when disciples are in danger and the behavior of the disciples that we see here is kind of an example of perhaps what not to do. So disciples are vulnerable to false teaching, what we see here, when we're not really listening to Jesus, we're not thinking like Jesus, and we're forgetful of God's faithfulness and his promises. So not really listening to Jesus is the first part. Jesus warns them of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but they're not like really actually like honed in and focused on the words of Jesus. They're not actually listening. They heard something else entirely. They heard one word and then jumped to something totally different. Jesus was telling them to watch out, probably hoping that when he used the word the yeast of the Pharisees that they would be like, hey, what does that mean? And kind of listen to him and ask him what he meant. Um, but what they heard was, we have no bread, guys. What's going on? Um, which was just a failure of the disciples to slow down and actually listen to the words that come out of Jesus' mouth. I would say that this applies to me greatly, that concept, and maybe you too. Like, it is so easy to be influenced by what someone else thinks when you listen to them and not Jesus. I feel like I see this a lot when I hear um, about someone, and I've probably done this at times in my life, where we read something else, we're always reading something else or listening to someone else other than listening to the Lord and listening through Scripture. It may be Bible or Jesus related, but it's someone else's thoughts and their teachings, which can be amazing and totally necessary and helpful for our lives, so don't stop reading those things. But I think it's really important that we make sure that we often and always return to the presence of Jesus and the word of God, like the actual words on the page so that we can process and reflect on the other things that we're learning in our life and things that we're thinking about. So we need to make time in our lives to slow down, turn off other voices and other words, other content, and just listen to the Lord, listening through scripture reading um, and also slowing down and quieting down to listen to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us as well. That's the first part that kind of makes us susceptible and vulnerable to sneaky false teaching. The second is not thinking like Jesus. So they're fixed on their hunger or their, 
maybe their future hunger, what they're worried about. They're worried about not having their material needs met. And their minds are just not on the same page as Jesus. Jesus is still thinking about, talking about this interaction that they had with the Pharisees and, and Sadducees, excuse me. But the disciples are not there. Again, Jesus says yeast, they think bread, and they start to worry about when they're gonna eat again. Jesus knows that God can provide everything they need. He's not worried. But the disciples are not on the same page. They, for a moment, stopped thinking like full of faith disciples who have watched Jesus provide for them, and then they, they doubted and they worried. And I think that we do this, what the disciples just did, so much. We think about our life, our things that are going on in our world through our broken human brains, and we forget to try to think about things as Jesus would think about them. Um, and the like sneaky, yeasty part of this is that it's often other people trying to help us follow God, telling us what they think the truth is, telling us, uh, trying to help us make sense of our lives, but unless they're directing us to Jesus and to the truth of Scripture, it, it can be what we would call false teaching. And so we have got to constantly remember to think about things as Jesus would, to put on the mind of Christ, um, which is easy to say and hard to do. Um, and I think it requires that, first of all, we have humility, that we're willing to say, I don't know that I understand this. I don't know that I'm thinking about this in the correct way. And also do so in the um, context of a community of the Spirit. So to, to do that with others who are also saying that in humility, I don't know that I understand this, and I would like to, and maybe we can help each other um, listen to the Lord, and he can guide us in this process. So the ability to acknowledge when we don't have answers and then the community of others that are filled with God's spirit um, to kind of assist in verifying what God thinks about something. So that is how we are able to um, think like Jesus in all situations in our life. The last thing is uh, that the disciples were forgetful of God's faithfulness and his promises to take care of them and meet their needs. They had forgotten about how Jesus could easily provide food for them. They experienced multiple miracles, Jesus providing for thousands of people. Um, they were also instructed already to pray for God to meet their needs as they needed them. So give us this day our daily bread. Um, when Jesus sent them out on their mission, I think in Matthew 12 or 11, um, he sends them out and tells them to travel light. You don't need to bring extra clothes. You don't need a bag for all of your food. I'm going to take care of you. They were... Um, not listening, not thinking like Jesus and forgetting what he had promised to do, how he had promised to take care of them. Um, and man, we do this too. With our minds fixed on our fears and our worries, um, forgetting how God may have provided and cared for us in the past, struggling to trust him to take care of us again. Um, so to put those things positively, what we, what we want to do as Jesus followers, um, what we can do as Jesus um, suggests to guard ourselves against false teachings by actually listening to Jesus, slowing down our lives enough to really listen to him, to read scripture and hear him speaking to us through that and hear the spirit speaking through us uh, to us in times of prayer. Second thing is allowing our minds to be transformed into the image of Jesus so that we begin to think like him. And finally, we should remember the ways that God has been faithful to us. So I'm not sure what issue in life is, just feels really pressing to you right now. So maybe just take a second and think about that. Like of all the things that are swirling in and out of your mind today or this week, what's just like weighed the heaviest? What has occupied a lot of time in your mind? It 
could be the war that's going on. It could be so many social, political issues that have you worried or frustrated or wondering, like, where is God? Where is the church in this? Maybe you can't see past, like, your marriage and issues that you're going through. Maybe what's pressing and weighing on you is your job, whether you like it or don't like it, or your need to make money and to make ends meet, thinking about your physical needs being met. Maybe something with your kids. There's like a a hundred options of things, but my question is, who is speaking into your life about that thing? Whatever that thing was that is pressing and weighing heavily on you, who is speaking into your life about that? And not as a judgment, but just echoing the warning of Jesus. Um, is someone speaking the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Or are you really listening and leaning in to Jesus? And are you attempting through the power of the Spirit to think about that situation and your world and what's going on, to think about it with and through the mind of Jesus? And are you trusting the God of the universe with your life? Or maybe are you forgetting to remember how he's taken care of you and provided for you over and over again? So I just want to invite you, actually, as we close, would you you close your eyes? um, And the worship team can come on up here. Just to use your imagination with me. I feel like we can stand to do this a little bit more when we are attempting to let scripture change us and form us. Um, So just imagine that you're on the boat with Jesus. Imagine that you've just left the shore. And on that shore, it wasn't the Pharisees demanding a sign, but it was someone on the news or social media speaking into whatever this issue is that's that's on your mind and weighing on you. Or maybe it was a friend or a family member giving advice on what you're going through. Imagine doing what the disciples didn't do. Imagine the conversation turns to this thing that's on your mind and on your heart, you and the disciples and Jesus. And just imagine, he's in front of you, and imagine saying, Jesus, here's what is on my mind right now. And I know what these people are saying. I know what these people are saying. But what do you think? What do you say about this? What is your teaching to me on this? I'm listening. Help me think like you. I trust you and I want to trust you more. Jesus, as your church, we um, confess that and say that to you, that we want to listen to you. We want to lean in and not be distracted by our normal ways of thinking, but we want to lean in to what you have to say and actually, truly listen to you. So would you help us do that? Would you help us through the power of the Holy Spirit in us to think the way that you think about what's going on in our lives and the things that are weighing on us? And God, we just ask that you would protect us from false teaching, from untruth, things that like yeast would come into our lives and and fundamentally change it, maybe slowly, maybe invisibly, but would you protect us from that? You are 
our Lord and our Master and our King. And we come to you and we need things, Father. And we know that you are a good Father who listens to his children. So right now, I just want to give you um, a moment to do that. You've been picturing it in your mind and imagining it, and now um, would you do so? Would you spend some time with Jesus and bring these things to him?